Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bet on Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos, and today's episode is presented by BetOnline.ag. And look, our partners at BetOnline, they continue to be the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. You can find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including Major League Baseball, the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL futures. Training camp is right around the corner, so BetOnline has opened up odds for team wins, division futures, and, of course, that little thing we call the Super Bowl. So what are you waiting for? Head to the website. Use your mobile device right now to sign up today. Receive a 50% welcome bonus. Bonus in your first deposit, just use promo code Believe B L E A V to get that bonus and get into that action. Bet online where the game starts, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for coming into the pod. I am so excited to have this guest on here today. We're talking second half Major League Baseball right now. The All Star Game was last night, and we are now going to be peering towards a stretch run for the Chicago White Sox. So who better to bring on than a man who needs very little introduction? He, you can find all of his amazing content on Gian Baseball on YouTube.com. It is Ozzy Gian Jr. What's up, Ozzy? What's up, my man? Uh, glad to get on with you, finally connected. And I'm not going to lie, your, the, the T-shirt that you have behind you right now, that is my jam. I am a, when people ask me if I'm a White Sox fan, I say I'm a 1990s White Sox fan. Why? That's because that's when I was innocent about the game of baseball, uh, how the business works. And that was the 1993 White Sox is the team that I would wear face paint. And I thought those guys were just amazing superheroes. And we were the greatest team to ever play in Major League Baseball. So that's my jam. So I looked at it, I'm like, wow, I I, def- I know exactly uh, the t-shirt. So I'm a big 90s White Sox fan. But again, here talking baseball um, and excited. I can't believe we're halfway through it already. It's unbelievable. And uh, I think we're going to be fast friends. And before we get into the team that's on the field right now, I want to stick with this 90s stuff real quick. Those teams were amazing, Ozzy. I mean, you know, you had one dog in in center field. You know, Alex Fernandez coming up. Wilson Alvarez almost throwing a no-hitter. What, in his, like, first or second appearance ever. Jason Beret's starts were must-view viewing. I mean, go back and think about those teams. And it, really, I think one of the biggest underrated stories, I know Sox fans don't forget it, is that 94 season, the strike. Everyone talks about how bad the strike was because it ruined the home run chase. Uh, that ruined the White Sox World Series chances because I really think that team had a shot to go all the way. You know what? And there's a lot of correlations in between. So a couple of things. Um, I don't think they're as popular because social media was not around. I think even comparing them to the 2005 White Sox, the 1993 White Sox were just phenomenal. The way that the, the setup of the format of the playoffs was not very helpful for them. But when you're looking at what a rebuild looks like, uh, Comiskey Park, you know, gets um, the new stadium gets built. Comiskey Park gets closed. But in 1989, you see that they draft Frank Thomas. You know, Frank Thomas comes up to the big leagues. And it's like Frank and Robin in Old Comiskey Park with one guy named Ozzy Guillen and Ron Karkovic and Carlton Fisk from the old guard. And they start re- drafting all these top prospects. Again, social media is not around, but it's like Robin Ventura, the trade for Roberto, Roberto Hernandez. You know, they, they start just building this massive team. In that draft, they even draft Ray Durham, who later on will be a huge part of the White Sox. But they draft all these guys early on. They start winning games, a new stadium, okay, new uniform, new look. And just literally start building up on when you won 90 games in Major League Baseball. It was like this humongous deal. And they go in and play against a team that has six Hall of Famers in the Toronto Blue Jays. The Sox actually competed. The only person that got hit around was actually a White Sox Cy Young pitcher, Black Jack. And then it was like all set in place for 94 season to be the season where they would go back into the playoffs. And now they would dominate because obviously they were the best team in the American League. And again, anything can happen in the World Series, but a team that is definitely underrated bad luck the White Sox had to play that season and there's a story that I want to share with the audience which my father shared with me um, that Jerry Reinsdorf actually came down and told the team told the players you guys know if you go into a lockout there will be no World Series knowing because he knew there was a lot of players like my father who were very influential and potentially saying let's play you know because there's a lot of guys in that team that really wanted to you know have a shot at the World Series back then it was a lot of guys been playing for a while and never had gotten a shot at it but they knew that already going in. Like I knew, Ozzy knew that if they went on the strike, which was more important to them, obviously in the series, that they were not going to be able to play it. So a, a team that, again, that one year taking off again, they came back, but it was never the same. Very underrated team, and one that when I look at pitching, and I have a lot of awesome friends that pitch now, but when I look at their numbers compared to what Jason Wilson and Alex, they were like 21 years old, you know, 17 game winners, 250 innings. 
it just blows your mind on, on how much the game has changed. And when you look at statistics now and you go back and compare the 93 White Sox, you know, what Frank Thomas was doing was just out of this world. It was like Mike Trout before Mike Trout. Lance Johnson is, is 0.1 less of value to his team than Frank Thomas was, which probably back then nobody knew. Um, Ozzy's like one of the greatest defensive players. So it's a very special team because they technically never won anything. Um, but it was like a real true rebuild. And I think one of the main reasons why the Chicago White Sox are still in the city of Chicago is that 90, that, that 90s team, the, the city goes out and builds a stadium and, and they pack the house, man. I, I think attendance wise, it's probably the best running, you know, seven years in the team's history in the new ballpark. Um, and a lot of guys, you know, um, did really well and they don't have a ring per se, but a team that means a lot, especially to myself, because again, I grew up with that team. And uh, again, they were competing in Chicago in a time when Michael Jordan was there and the Bulls. So if you still, you know, if you still have a grasp of a team that's not the Bulls, it's kind of like a big deal. The Bears weren't really relevant or the Blackhawks. It was all like, you know, the Bulls and then you had the White Sox. So again, very hard to compete with six titles, but you know, the, that team did it. No, such an impactful team. And you look at Frank Thomas's stats, and, and we both grew up watching him on a day-to-day -day basis, whether it was hitting a home run or just poking the bat out and just kind of hitting one into right field. You look at his OPSs and you go, that doesn't look right. <laughs> These OPSs don't it's, make any it's sense. Stupid. It's stupid fantasy baseball. And again, then you come out of that era and then the, you find out about guys juicing and steroids and, and then you're like, wow, what Frank did was that more special. But the numbers are ridiculous. Fans don't realize that the fences were like 25 feet further okay, than they are right now. So Frank's home runs are even that much more important. But it was a time where being a, a, a well-balanced baseball player meant a lot. You had to play, you know, defense and you had to play, you know, offense, both, you know, power and average. You know, getting walked wasn't a thing like it is now. Frank was doing a lot of things. And again, when you look at what a rebuild is, it's a lot of homegrown talent. And they went and made the right moves for, for, for superstars outside, you know, that you go and get Tim Raines, which was an elite player at the time, to get Ellis Burks. So you had yeah, Julio Franco, Danny Tartable every year. Yeah. yeah, every year was somebody new. And again, it was a time when when baseball, and again, it's very easy now. It's easier to be a fan because you have so much of it, which is amazing. You know, back then, the newspaper, you know, you had to look at the stats. And and if you had, you know, the games weren't, you know, shown in every single highlight and clip. You had to literally sit there and watch the news or watch at the time baseball tonight for highlights different world and the format of the game back then baseball did not get it that more playoff teams means more fans watching it, they were in the set old school four teams go to the playoffs everybody else no matter how many games you won and when you look at it historically the white Sox were the team that won the most games in the 90s after the atlanta braves so it's a so when people say that it wasn't successful it wasn't successful trophy wise but game winning wise they were very very successful um and again you ran into some teams that uh, they were just phenomenal. But again, that 90s White Sox team was one that when you look back at it, it was built the right way. And, and it meant a lot to a lot of people like myself. Yeah. And you mentioned also uh, that new Comiskey Park. That was before they even brought down what is it, the top two upper rafters, which totally changed the wind tunnels in Comiskey, too, which helped the ball fly out a little bit more. And real quick to that Jerry Reinstorf story that you mentioned when he came down and talked to the players. Um, fun inside family story of mine is that my aunt dated Ron Schuler all throughout the 90s. Really? Afforded, yeah, which afforded me a lot of great opportunities to uh, go to a lot of games and sitting next to like Kenny Lofton's family when they'd play the Indians all through the 90s, all that stuff. And so for a Christmas gift, I think it was 94, 95, he gave me a framed set of White Sox division uh, championship and World Series tickets from 94. They were so confident that they were going to go. They actually printed out some copies of what it would look like of, you know, White Sox versus TBA in that 94 World Series that what, obviously what never happened. Ron Schuler's probably remember for all the negative things, um, but he was a, actually a very good general manager. When you look at talent-wise, talent evaluation, he was fantastic. Talent evaluation, he signed Ron Schuler signed Ozzy in uh, so Ozzy gets hurt in '92. So this is it's kind of fun fact when people talk about building teams in 1992. They thought that they they had it. Okay, they yeah. thought that that team going in was very competitive. Things like 22 games in, Ozzy goes down, and Ron Schuler does not make a move for an elite shortstop. They think that they can compete. Ozzy, you know, they never really bounced back. At the time, they didn't know when Ozzy would come back. So, you know, hindsight, they probably should have gotten a shortstop, but they didn't, okay? So Ron Schuler signs Ozzy in the middle of rehab, okay? So they sign, they sign Ozzy, they sign Bo Jackson. So Ozzy and Bo are in the – Ozzy, Bo, and Alice Burks are in basically in the winter training with the White Sox and Herm Schneider 
with Ron Schuler checking in on them because Ron Schuler took a shot on three guys that were literally out the season before, kind of like, I have no idea, but, and then they come out and win that many games. So that was number one, like signing a guy, you know, he basically signed Ozzy and Bo Jackson in the hospital. Like you guys are going to get surgery. You guys are going to get better. So talk, talk about trusting in the situations that we're currently in right now in the current team, trusting your, your staff saying we're signing two guys to long-term contracts that are injured and we're going to make it work. And he did that. And then when you look at the gap again, you know, Ron, you know, those nineties teams, they don't win. Then Ron basically takes the Sox into the two thousands. Okay. Max Carlos Lee. I mean, he's basically his team. So technically the, the team that Ozzy inherits in 2004 is, is, is basically Ron Schuler's team. The, the changes that come in. So Ron takes them into a time, you know, a, a very, a very strong time. So when you're looking at historically of guys that have built the franchise, he has a huge gap in our history. And again, I think that fans don't realize what, what it takes to construct a team. This year, my biggest concern was right off the bat, them coming out and saying World Series or nothing. Okay. And this is why it took time to the 1990s White Sox to get to a playoff and actually compete, ran into a better team that ended up winning the World Series. But it did not take them just 1993. It took them 92 without main key players. It took them pretty much the early 90s. From Jeff Torborg in 89, they're already building. So Frank's already got like four or five years in the league. Robin Ventura, guys have been seasoned. Move fast forward to Ozzie Guillen's era. People never give credit to Jerry Manuel, okay? The other day I saw somebody giving credit to Rick Renteria. They haven't won yet. When they do, you have to do it. But Jerry Manuel takes a young core of players, okay, and starts preparing them. Who are the young core of players? Rowan Creedy, Burley, Garland had all been on the White Sox for at least four years when Ozzy takes over in 04. Huge change of the guard. A lot of players get go out. A lot of players come in. But that core stays together. So Ozzy had inherited a pretty good group of players that had played baseball really well and just needed like a boost of confidence to take it to the next level. You look at today's team, and there hasn't been a five-year group. There's a there's a year which is a COVID season which is a has six- there been a has there been a thirty game in a row uh, group this been, year that's what I mean so it's like you know? from a development standpoint people are like oh the COVID year I'm like that's not a year it's a sixty game season anything can happen in sixty games so yeah Brayu's MVP and you can't take it away but you know when then when you look and then Andrew Vaughn comes up and it's like this guy hasn't played two hundred games in the big leagues so his improvement is huge. But there hasn't been like a five-year gap of like struggles of going to the playoffs and getting spanked around and getting beat. And then you come back. 2004, the White Sox saw, you know, 93, the White Sox lose to the Blue Jays. 2004, White Sox, they see the Twins clinching in their field. They see, you know, Jamie Burke getting destroyed at home plate in like July, taking him out of the race. So it takes these points of, Okay, like when you get that feeling. So when you're looking at the maturity of a team, regardless of how good your players are, that take time, that takes time on how to bounce back. So for this team, all that what we're talking about, all that history means that this team came in with a lot of pressure, which I never think any of those teams ever had to deal with of you have to win right now. And unfortunately for them, the first half was a struggle because of that. I, I didn't think I didn't suffer because I knew that they were going to go through those growing pains and they're still a very good team. And I still think they're going to have those growing pains. I still don't think that they're like that 94 White Sox team where I'm like, this is a team that is destined to go to the World Series. I wasn't as I wasn't even as sure as the 2005 White Sox. And I knew they were going to compete as I was of the 94 team. Like this team is in the in the in the the American League Championship, no matter what. You're bringing us such an interesting point about Jerry Manuel, too, as well. And it just makes me think, you know. He kind of, I mean, I, I don't think he did it you know, publicly, but he really did try and protect a guy like Joe Creedy, right? Because we've had so many different prospects like a Lyle Mouton or a Jeff Abbott, guys that kind of flame out and don't make it. And that's such an interesting thing where he allowed him to continue to get those at-bats. So by the time 2004, 2005 comes around, Joe Creedy becomes the Joe Creedy that I think White Sox fans remember, maybe not those first couple of years. So this is a perfect transition to this 46 and 46 White Sox team right now. You know, they got, they got a blow played a great series against the twins we can have that debate of whether it came at the right time or the wrong time i think it's the perfect time to kind of recharge the batteries with every single aspect of this white Sox team so when you're at this all-star break you do a lot of reflecting so so ozzy Gein jr when you're reflecting on this 46 and 46 team and per this conversation that we're having about maturation what are you looking back on about this 46 and 46 uh first half is it 
the fact that they survived. Um, you know what I mean? What, what is it exactly when you think about this squad as we look towards the second half? You know what? Grinders, I think that they could have easily given up and been 15 games out of first place. We've seen that in a couple teams. Um, they, they were able to react without there having to be a major move, which was other than Dallas getting released, their coaching staff didn't get touched, their manager didn't get touched, their players didn't get touched, and they were still able to grind it out and, and show sparks of greatness. You know, I think that there's nothing you can do about injuries, okay? Injuries happen. It's something that it, it's something you have to deal with, and it's unfortunate. Now, usually the teams with the most depth are the teams that win. Why? Because you obviously have your lineup on paper, and on, on paper, the White Sox are a phenomenal team. But unfortunately, there's been injuries. There's been situations where this core has not been able to play a lot of games together. So there might be a couple of players that might be playing a lot more than you would like them to, or their offensive numbers have been more important than you've wanted them to. But they've survived, okay? When you're looking at the halves, you didn't play with Grandal, You barely played with Eloy. You know, Pantera was kind of there. Tim Anderson did not play the full time. Moncada was literally struggling the whole time. So you're looking at these guys and you're saying, okay, other than Andrew and a couple guys, everyone else is kind of like just in survival mode. Um, even Johnny Cueto, when they're looking at his numbers, he didn't pitch the whole first half. He, he equates to maybe like one fourth of it. So other than Cease and, and Vaughn, everyone's pretty much been struggling, including Tony. Again, I think that when you're a manager and you're a coaching staff, would you rather take your best managing early in the season? Then later in the season, you're probably going to take later because you're probably playing more meaningful, harder games. So you probably want to make the mistakes that you do early on than later. But they were able to survive that whole game of them staying within five games and then coming in. It gives you an opportunity to be in the fight again. I think that White Sox fans thought that they were the New York Yankees when you're up 20 games from first place. It doesn't matter. They can win 130 games. It's what are you going to do getting into the playoffs? So I think that the White Sox right now are going to be battling going into the playoffs. Absolutely. Are they guaranteed it? No, because nothing is guaranteed. But I think that they're going to become a better team as they go down the race. And they're going to have to do something that the early 2000 White Sox had to do. You have to beat your boogeyman. Okay. Your boogeyman is a team that always comes and beats you. They did that in Minnesota the first two games of the series. Minnesota kind of like patched it up. And it was like, okay, we went, we went away with a wash. They're, they got Cleveland coming into town, you know, coming off the, the all-star break. You have to beat the boogeyman. Ozzy beat the boogeyman. The 2005 White Sox, you know, beat the boogeyman. Every team has to beat the boogeyman. In the second half, head-to-head -head is extremely important versus your division. They have to beat the Twins. They have to beat the, the, the Guardians because those guys are going to beat other teams. So on that race, it's all going to be head-to-head matchup. Can I be honest with you? That is such a refreshing perspective. I'm sorry because, look, I, I, I'm hearing everything you're saying, and you're you're bringing it back to this to this outside angle that I think is so absolutely true with this White Sox team right now. Where let's just start first with the Tony Larusa issue. I think a lot of White Sox fans on Twitter were pissed off at his lineups early on in the season, right? Trying to just figure out and tinker, you know, what's up, what's down, moving Vaughn around all over the type of place. But Ozzy, when you're talking like this. It sort of feels like that this team is still a team that is very much coming together, a team with immense talent. But did we really know at the beginning of the year that Vaughn was our number two hitter? Did we really no, understand what our it, one through five it, looked like? So is this really on – I don't want to say it's on Tony Larusa, but I think this is all just continuously – this something that continues to evolve. And I guess maybe my question to that is, you know, do you think they have enough time this year to coalesce, to come together and put something together and create enough momentum? If they don't, if they cannot get into the playoffs, there might be moves like 04 to 05, where yeah, yeah. you might have to make some roster moves. Two guys for one guy. and Your like feelings that. are going to get hurt as a White Sox fan, okay? You have to look deep inside and say, you know, are we going to sign somebody up to a long-term deal? Who's going to be a part of this roster if we're going to compete? That's something that when you don't win, you have to make decisions like that, which is not easy. White Sox parted ways with Maglio, Carlos Lee, you know, Valentin, guys that were, were a big part of, of, of great White Sox winning teams because not because they didn't think they had talent, but because they said this formula is not working. We have to move some things around. So that being said, number one, Andrew Vaughn could easily be hitting seventh on this team. Why do I say that? If everyone performed to their abilities, okay, and stayed healthy, Andrew Vaughn is hitting seventh. 
Yeah. Okay. Is Moncada is your two hitter in that particular? Moncada could be your two hitter. I'm just saying, if, if Moncada wasn't what everybody sold them, you're like, ah, switch hitter. Any way you put it, even even Pollock, just because based on 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 experience and hierarchy, guys played in the World Series, so so Andrew could be playing seventh. So it's like imagine the 2005 White Sox completely struggle, and all of a sudden you find Joe Creedy hitting second. Again, mm-hmm. will Andrew eventually be a third hitter? Absolutely, he has that talent. Did everybody come into the season saying Andrew's my third hitter? If that was your thought process and you're in the front office or you're the manager, you're like, oh my God, something really bad happened. Same thing with looking at Larry. People think that Larry Garcia got signed as a backup player. Backup players do not get signed for multi-year deals for $60 million, okay? He was signed as a second baseman that potentially could platoon with Harrison, maybe or maybe not, but where their offense was not going to be a huge catalyst. What does that mean? The 1993 White Sox were not built on Ozzie Guillen hitting 350. Okay. It was like catch the ball, play. Unfortunately, with everyone's struggles, and you can throw everyone that's paid to play offensively, and guys that are a little bit under the numbers, all of them are, you start looking at Larry and saying, Oh my God, we are losing. Right now, nobody talks about Joey Gallo and the fact that he's the worst player offensively in baseball because the Yankees are a destruction of a team. If the Yankees were 10 games under 500, they'd be changing Joy Gallo's name to be benched every single day. That's what goes in. I'll give it to you in the 2005 White Sox. Nobody looks at the numbers how many times Aaron Rowan grounded into a double play. Okay, or how inefficient he was at certain times. They looked at all the positives. Why? They went wire to wire. And that's something that you don't look at the inefficiencies of a team or when they don't hit or when things are struggling. You don't look at that. You look at all the positives. This first half, you looked at the negatives because obviously – it didn't work out. The situation with Tony La Russa is one that is mind-blowing, sad, confusing, and one that I don't think Tony ever had a fair shot at this team. Why? Mm. Number one is age. Every person that was young and relevant right now did not want some old dude managing their team. That's number one. Number two, they had this huge thing in their head that they were going to go get an analytical manager or they were going to get A.J. Hinch for some reason. The only reason A.J. Hinch was going to ever be the White Sox manager is because he's really good friends with the GM, and that was always his first pick. Every general manager has a pick of, like, a dream. If I'm ever a manager, you're my GM. Everyone has that whoever's in baseball. So everyone had that rumor that it was going to be him. I don't even know if that was even a factual thing, but everyone had a thought in their head of who it would be. The DUI situation, again, they blew it. They made it the the – the uh, he won't get along with young players. Uh, he doesn't get along with players of color. Like all these crazy stories going in, had this huge cloud already walking into the clubhouse. Okay, so before that even being said, Tony had to now be like, I need to win the clubhouse over. I think a big mistake Tony made was trying to win fans over and being really nice to these guys. I would have walked in and said, This is how it's going to be. Okay. Yeah. Um, because you literally got, you got a manager fired because you guys didn't produce or we were too nice. And that's something that going from Jerry Manuel to Ozzy, Ozzy was like, I got brought in to be the opposite of Jerry Manuel. I'm here to, you know, crack the whip down. And that's why after all four, they said, you got to get rid of these guys because these guys are not reacting to me the way that they should be. And if we're going to win, we need, we need to change. And, and that team was built there. And I think Tony has had a hard time transitioning because there's a part of him that wants to make the White Sox fans happy. White Sox fans happy will not be happy with Tony unless he wins a World Series ring. And even when he wins a World Series ring, if he does, there's people going to say, oh, they wanted the spite of him, all that situation. So I think that him going in, and again, every manager, okay, Hall of Famer or not, is going to have disasters of play calling. And there's going to be situations where you're going to make mistakes. Again, Tony's are bigger because the, the, the attention that they have on him and the fact that he is pressure to win. And the fact that fans are pissed off and they want to win every single game. Does he have pressure? Absolutely. But there is an aspect of Tony and him not being doing the, the job because his job is to win games. But this falls on everyone. The ro- roster construction of, okay, should we have signed Rundone and not Lynn? Uh, I don't know. But you guys, but fans were celebrating that that was an amazing, an amazing signing. So you got to play devil's advocate. Oh, when they signed Grandal, they threw it, you know, they basically went to Michigan Avenue and put the trophy up. But now they're mad because now there's a lot of DHs. So you can't get mad because you were really happy in the front of the situation when you were doing the rebuild. But now I see White Sox fans saying DFA Moncada. Like the guy's got four years, $70 million left in his contract. So realistically, 
the, this winning thing is making fans just go completely out of this world. I'm super shocked they DFA Keiko. You know, Cueto made that happen because he's pitched. So that's a lot of money to walk away from. So this, this team, if they win, which they have the talent, is going to save a lot of jobs. If this team does not win, just the situation right now, okay? Jose Abreu has literally made it impossible for them for them to say, we need to walk away from you. You are no longer productive. Your time has come. You got to walk away. He's this close to a statue, right? I mean, honestly, he's this close I, to he, get. If he, right? if he wins a ring, he does definitely deserves one. I think he might be the only player in this modern era that might get a statue without winning a ring just because of how much Jerry loves him uh, in that situation that he has. But again, if you bring back Jose Abreu, Okay, now I'm thinking about future of the White Sox. Is that the best thing for the team? Maybe, maybe production-wise, but now you got Andrew out of position. So that's what I'm talking about. When you're looking at the future and you're looking at your window and you're valuing players and you're saying, what's it look like five years from now? You're gonna have if you don't win this year, you're gonna look hard, you're gonna have to look very hard in the mirror and say, We're gonna have to make some really hard decisions because there's a lot of guys that are coming up that are not as expensive. What do the next four years look like? Do we move players to get better in certain situations? Or do we just keep this team like this and just have a bunch of DHs and, you know, figure it out? Because here's the part. Tony's job, the hardest part of Tony's job is that he has to get a certain amount of players at bats, okay, and keep everyone happy with everyone playing the same positions. I know. Like literally. Left fielders and DHs, I mean, unfortunately, that's kind of like what this team – is dealing with a little and bit none of them are left-handed yeah no, and none of them are left-handed right but but pollock kills right-handed pitching so we're good uh, yeah. <laughs> right uh, no and you're totally right about abreu because what's so fascinating about it is i love jose abreu but i looked at this a couple years ago and i said you know what we're only going to have prime prime true top shelf abreu for just maybe a couple more years i mean god if we could be so lucky for three or four but what does that look like moving forward in the future so now is kind of the time and it is really funny Right, that we look at, we keep mentioning when we talk about that that magical run that the White Sox had in 2005, and it was really because we had to change the mix in the locker room. You don't normally trade a Carlos Lee for a Scott Pesednik. That doesn't normally happen. And I think I remember myself. White Sox fans were like, "All right, we just traded a guy who hits 35 home runs a year for a dude who steals 60 bases a year. What are we doing?" But you know what? It's about a base. It's about baseball. It's not about like necessarily what's on a sheet of paper, or what's on the back of a baseball card. It's the mix that has to happen. And I guess maybe my question for you moving forward is: Now that we're forty-six and forty-six in the month of July, the White Sox have scored the second most runs in Major League Baseball, right behind the New York Yankees. We've seen better starting pitching. Obviously, Cease is pitching great. Giolito's kind of come back a little bit, and then Lynn and Kopech are. I don't know. We'll see what happens. In your opinion right now, which, which side of the fence do the White Sox need to really build momentum on? Is it through the lineup and just bash some teams? Is it the starting pitching? What is it going to take for this team to start pulling together those six, eight, nine wins in a row? And honestly, a team I think that's talented enough that at the beginning of the season, I thought, you know what? They're going to have some struggles, but they're the type of team that can rip off 13 of 16, in my opinion, oh, at the beginning oh, of the season. Absolutely. I think, so, I, think, I think manufacturing runs – which they did on a way better job of this year. I don't think early on they, when they weren't hitting home runs, they, they panicked, I think, and they could not manufacture runs. And you look at this team right now and they're manufacturing runs, being better with runner on second, moving the runner, you know, taking the extra base. So, you know, cleaning up the horrible base running mistakes of situations of giving games away when you shouldn't be giving games away, cleaning up the defense. I think the first half White Sox defense was a disaster. Okay. Of game how, how much better can you get at that? I don't mean to interrupt you, but I, I you know, they're not a great I'm defensive saying, team. It I just kind of is what it is. Errors, I think that the physical errors are going to happen, but I'm talking about mental errors. Okay. Like, yeah. can you keep a game close? Like you do not let it get out of hand because your offense is so good. Okay. That you're like, we can come back from any single game. Again, the white sides have great speed, which is something a lot of teams don't have. So a lot of infield hits, find, grinding out the at-bats and saying, let's find a way of where sometimes we're not going to hit home runs. Because when they hit them, they're going to come in bunches because the White Sox have a lot of power. They have a great offense, but how do you manufacture runs? And like, if you're struggling, okay, let's say Moncada struggles again, Larry struggles again. It's giving them good at-bats, not giving away at-bats, 
basically just giving up and saying whatever. I'm just up there with no plan, which was literally what they were doing right before they got hot. When Ozzy called them out, when Frank called them out, when Kenny Williams called them out, when you looked at the game and those guys that did not care, they were just going up there, 0 for 4, go home, it doesn't matter. The next five, six days, it was, even the games that they lost, it was like, we're going to grind out at bats. We're really going to build out. I think the offense is that part because of pitching. Those guys are not all going to be Cy Youngs, okay? We might even yeah. see Dick C's take a little dip. I think Michael Kopech, for example, in his last start was probably his best start, in my opinion, because he had nothing in his arm, okay? He was literally battling. And I've seen rumors already of a potential to get go hit, get a, a Quintana type of pitcher. Why? Because they know that Kopech has never done it. Someone's going to have to eat innings. So Michael needs help. But like the Lins, he doesn't have to be a Cy Young. 500, let the game be less than four runs, okay? Don't allow it. Even Giolito. I don't know where this Giolito is a Cy Young, you know, maybe because of the marketing team at NBC told you that he went from being the worst pitcher to being one of the better ones. He doesn't have to <laughs> be. a commercial a lot. Well, he doesn't have to be. This is the thing. They don't, he doesn't have to be a, a 15 and 0 guy. As long as he gives you enough competition to survive, the White Sox offense can produce because they're not, they're, their offense is built to, to score a run. So the pitching can hold off and be average. The, the, the hitting side has to provide because you're not going into a pennant race. You go shutting teams down, you know, two to one for the rest yeah. of the year. They have to hit. Speaking of the offensive lineup, we've been kind of tiptoeing around it a little bit. And something that I've just kind of noticed, you know, we were talking about line construction a little bit earlier in the pod. And it just sort of feels like, and this is due to injuries, in my opinion, we're a little short in our lineup, right? After, you know, six through nine, it's just been kind of difficult. You know, Tony's been mixing and matching all year long. So I'm going to throw a couple of guys here at you. Some of them are on the shelf and hopefully they come back. But between Mankata, Mankata, Aloy, Grandal, and let's just say the second base position whether it is Harrison or Larry Garcia, which one of those guys can you look at maybe in the second half and say, you know what, this would be a huge X factor for us if we can get him right. Cause one of those guys is probably going to have to fit in that second half of the lineup. And we just need to kind of lengthen that lineup a little bit, turn it over. I mean, how many times have we seen Tim Anderson up with runners on second and third? I don't think as many times as we would probably like. So who do you think that X factor could possibly be in the second half? I think it's Josh Harrison. Okay. Yeah. Because better. Josh Harrison has played himself into a point where they're not going to DFA him, you can't, you, you can't, you can't do it. Um, especially with the injuries, he plays third. Okay. So you can give Moncada a little bit of rest when he needs it. Again, I don't know how they do the whole rest thing, but he gives you options. And at second base, he does a decent job. So Harrison might, and he's healthy, which is the crazy part. I, I don't count on Eloy at this point because Eloy can come back. And unless the fact that he is hitting in bubble wrap, even if he DHs, he has to play the field because of the way the lineup is constructed. What do you mean by it? he has to play the field? Well, if you want Andrew and Abreu in the same lineup and Andrew not playing the outfield, okay, he is playing first base. So if Eloy is healthy, then Eloy probably is in left field, okay? Yep. So him getting hurt basically on a sprint to catch a ball is like, okay, how badly are you hurt? Was it a sprint, Ozzy? <laughs> you know no, what I no, mean? It like, was a sprint. No, well, for, it, was for, like for, it was like a jog. It was terrible. Yeah. It was a sprint. For him, it was a sprint other than him walking. And it was very concerning because now I'm like, okay, lineup construction, you don't need him to be a gold lover, but if he can't stay healthy by just being in the outfield, that affects it. So for him in my head, when I'm thinking down the line of how does this team win, I have him not at 100%, okay? So I think for him, Harrison Pollock, Okay, I think that we've seen flares of him being okay. He's a player that's actually, if he starts producing, that lineup gets actually a lot better. But for me, is how do you, how does Tony do a well enough job of when they return of really using those utility players as utility players? Okay, mm -hmm. give the second base job to Harrison and then platoon him, but no, give him some consistency. If Leary is going to play the outfield or play second base, what is it going to look like? Is it righty righties? Is it lefty left? What is your matchups? You have to start building in the second half some consistency in the lineup as well as in the pitching staff. If Graveman is a sixth inning guy versus lefties then, or righties, it's Graveman. I don't want to see, you know, one plan on a day A and then a different plan on day B, but then you have the same thing happen on the next day, but you went to B instead of A. Yeah. That makes no sense because there's always righty lefties. There's always stats that are very similar in data. 
So that's what I want to see. I don't want to see like Leary leading off versus righties, okay? And then leading off versus lefties. And then you're like the next, that's, I'm not doing that. That's not cool. If, if TA is your, 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 your lead off and let's say it's Pollock and Moncada, then Pollock and Moncada. If it's Moncada and, and Vaughn, you have to see, you know, there's going to be different lineups, but instead of 50 different lineups, I want to see like four different lineups. Okay, so like if Eloy's in the outfield, then this is what it looks like. If Eloy's in DH, this is what it looks like. Just to give some guys some confidence of, okay, I'm not playing, I'm not playing this college baseball of I need a hit to stay in the lineup. Okay, I'm getting comfortable. And it helps guys stay in a routine. The part that's very interesting is this catcher situation. Okay. Reese is very good behind the plate. Sevi Saval, I don't know where he came from. He is becoming a threat with the bat. He is. Grandal is an amazing player. How healthy is he going to be to catch? I don't know. But if he's healthy, he's got to be playing. Even if he's hitting 110, he's, he's, you have to give him the benefit of the doubt because of his previous success. Do you go with three catchers? Does a catcher go down? Those types of situations are the ones that you have to make the right choice. Who are you going to send down? And then when the rosters expand, okay, because when they do expand, you're still going to be in the race. So who comes up? How do you start using them? And you find utilizations because again, you got guys this year like Jake Berger, who, who are one of the big reasons your team is 46 and 46. He was able to step back that he might come in. So you start playing around. So I, I think that Tony has a really hard job, but it's like going from like 90 different lineups to like, okay, we have like five lineups that we're going to play with and give some guys some consistency. Yeah, I can't agree. With, I completely agree with that. And I think it's about maybe solidifying who's going to hit in that five hole. And then when Grandal comes back, you know, where does he fit in there? Can you hit Grandal maybe eighth because he gets on if base? Grandal eighth yeah. or seventh. If Pantera's going to be, you know what a is going to give you, okay? And you have to decide, is it Pantera, Vaughn? Andrew Vaughn has proven at this point in the first half. He can hit in any situation in there. But you maybe you right might left, he doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You have to say, okay, is, is Abreu my fourth hitter and Pantera my third hitter or Vaughn my third hitter? And you find a combination of that. And even if it's with Moncada and say, Moncada, you're going to hit in the bottom of the lineup, which is not a bad lineup. Because in my lineup originally, when I had him in the World Series, I did not have Tim Anderson two years ago leading off every single day. But he has to lead off just because I think when he gets on base, he's like Scott Pitsenik. He's just very dangerous. When he's on base, they're going to score. If I see Anderson on first base, I'm like, one nothing, and he doesn't even steal bases. Well, he, and he doesn't even run. So imagine if he ran. Like, imagine if Tim Anderson starts running, it literally gets on first, and I'm like one nothing. Okay, that he has that effect on the on on a team. So now you have to say, okay, if we do, let's say that he has a consistent one through four, you can always play around, you know, six through eight, six through nine, and, or just say like when Harrison's playing, I'm like Harrison is my ninth hitter, no matter what. Okay, and you know that you have that TA, you know, you have TA and you have, you know, Harrison. That that also gives you balance. Like Oz, you know, they did it a long time with Lance Johnson and Ozzy Gian. Like you have those guys Ozzy hits a triple and 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 one guy just makes some contact and they score. Yeah. Ozzy's a ninth hitter, and you know that no matter what, when you show up at the stadium, he is in the ninth hole. And the only reason he's not in the ninth hole is if he's not playing. That type of consistency brings guys and lets them relax. Okay, but when you start playing games and you, your sheets, okay, and you've had really good at bats at eighth or seventh, and they're like, "Oh my God, he's killing the ball!" Yeah, he's hitting seventh, and then you come show up the next day and you're hitting third. Okay, your job gets that a lot harder. I always say this: people say, "Oh, we love Joe Creedy, we love Aaron Rowan." Oh, great! How much you love him hitting third? And that's why some, <laughs> yeah. sometimes when Ozzy would do those crazy lineups, and you see like Timo Perez hitting third, it wasn't because he thought Timo was the right third hitter is because he didn't want to affect anyone else in what they were doing. And he well, was, wasn't like, it, wasn't it Carl Everett too, for a long stretch hitting yeah, third and then Everett. until JD moved up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah until JD moved, like he's going to be the guy yeah. until he's no longer there. So like finding that consistency, this, these guys are so young that when you see production, they don't, I don't care what people say. They don't pitch you the same hitting third as you do seventh. Mm-hmm. And when you start feeling really good, let him ride out the really, really good. Because then when you start jumping him, that first game when you go 0 for 4, you're like, oh, it's because I'm hitting third. Jose Abreu can go 0 for 4 for the next three months, and he knows what it takes to hit in that batter spot. He has that experience. Grandal, there's certain guys in that team, Lance Lynn when he's on the mound, 
you know, that they've struggled. They've been through those long, long, long months and they know how to get out of it. A lot of players in the Sox that fans think that they're ready for that. They have not been through those long months. They don't know how to get out of those struggles. You know, we were freaking out about TA's first like slump, 19 at bats without getting hits. It's actually not a very long time, 19 at bats, but people were <laughs> freaking out. And he, you could tell that he was like, very hesitant and in the world of baseball you're like this guy's so good that he thinks 19 at bats without a hit is like a big deal like try 40 something buddy but that's how he is so we're seeing their you know we're seeing those we're seeing them adapt and become better players as they go along we cannot we cannot make it harder for them and saying hey you know we're going to make it that much harder for you when you perform you have to put them in, in positions to succeed that's how you get the best out of them TA, you're hitting 313 now. Um, is the is it over for you? <laughs> you know I mean? like, oh yeah, correct. Again, TA is freaking out. Yeah. Not your typical leadoff guy. When I say that, this belief of like you need to get on base with walks. He's good enough to swing the bat whenever he wants to. He gets yeah. enough hits that the moment that he doesn't get enough hits, then we'll have that conversation. And I like him and whatever hits behind him. The fact that he can either move him or put him in play. So they have a lot of really good options at number two because I think that he is a huge part of the catalyst about the success. And we saw it when he went down, Danny Mendick probably had the best possible replacement of any player. And unfortunately, I think if Danny Mendick actually stays healthy and keeps is playing second like, baseman, they're 56 and 40, they're 56 and 36. You know, like Danny Mendick really showed how good this team could be if that position was like, okay, this position starts playing a little bit better because now you, you don't have to use Larry as much. You, you, you save Larry's for the, to the late innings coming in defensively instead of just angle. So your team looks better defensively. Again, if Larry starts, you can't really put him in the outfield unless you take somebody else. So the moves are that you have to, you make less moves with, with, with uh, less players because you don't have like Danny anymore. Uh, two more for you, just really quick. Uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about, you know, interdivision boogeymen, uh, the Guardians and the Twins, and we've, they're going to start the second half of the season against the Guardians. Uh, I want to throw it out to you because, you know, if we do, looks like the White Sox are going to have to win the division to make it to the postseason this year. As it stands just today, looking at the standings and doing all the math. So the Yankees, we all know about the Yankees, but, you know, they're having a fantastic season they're bashing the ball it's incredible it's historic blah 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 but my question for you is are the astros the white Sox boogeymen in the long um run? they're one of them i think those twins are i think the twins Still, are yeah. yeah i think that they became that boogeyman again and i think that the guardians are there as well i think the guardians when they show up to chicago they want to beat up on the team so bad. i know that for a fact i got friends on the guardians they want to whoop on the white Sox so bad they talk about it this team has a lot of teams that want to beat them for whatever reason it is pick your choice. There's more than one of them. You have to take that into title. Like when these guys come into town, they want to whoop on you. They hate the marketing. Okay. They hate that they get a lot of attention. They hate the swag. It's a lot of things they hate. And when you become that team, you're going to have a target on your back. So I think the twins are a team that we forget that they were picked to win the division last year. Okay. So they have success. With a couple of players that are really, really good, they made a better team with a couple of their moves. I think their bullpen is horrendous. I think they have huge pitching issues. Yeah. I don't see them competing with the Sox in a pitching um, if it came down to pitching. And the Guardians, I don't know where that offense came from. They're kind of figuring out themselves. So you don't really know what they have, but they have to beat up on their division. The fact that the White Sox did not set a statement in, in that division uh, in the first half, everyone thinks that they can hang with them. They got to prove that once you leave your division. Okay. And the reason I keep focusing on the division is that I don't see today someone coming out of the central to win the wild card. Mind you, that could change. The White Sox and the Twins can go on a tear. Okay. While somebody in the East falls and they can be that, that last team for that, you know, for that uh, wild card. That's why I think number one, the White Sox have to win as many games as possible and just win, 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 and not worry about, you know, who's in the standings and where just because of that wild card. But I think once you take care of that, you then worry about the playoffs. This stuff that White Sox fans do that they were doing in the beginning of the year. If we get home field advantage, we get team A versus team B. And this that's get in. you gotta beat them all. Doesn't matter. You get, yeah. you get in, you get in, and whoever you face, again, there's an opponent. I'll give you an example. In 05, Ozzy did not want to face it, the Cleveland. He didn't. He he 
he wanted to keep Cleveland out of the playoffs because he knew that they had played them a lot against one another. They played them really well. He knew that it would be a grind. He was like, we, we play Boston, better team on paper. They've played us a lot less. Okay, so we can expose them on a couple of things that we might be a little bit better than they are. So when they get in the matchups, you want to get there and be able to get the matchups that you want. Okay, and then match yourselves up for it. I'll give you an example. There's two things that really bother me on this team, meaning the, the, the run, which I hope that I'm completely wrong for White Sox fans sake. The Oakland series, okay? I really think that the COVID year was a really good year. Had Ozzy been the manager, for example, I would have been pushing to be like, get as many players as possible and go for it this year and leave nothing on the table. Even if your players have to leave themselves dying on the, on the field, why? No one knew what was going on in the COVID year, okay? They had no scouting reports on half of the White Sox players, okay? Nobody knew who was who. It was kind of like the wild, wild west. This team is out there. Teams are just throwing to them. And the White Sox showed how talented they were, and they were able to run. They get to Oakland. They lose in an unfortunate series. When you see them beating Oakland, it's like a wide open run to the, to the championship. I really do believe that. And that's why I don't think Rick Renteria is a manager today because White Sox higher-ups think that he messed up the pooch on that one. And he could have gotten a pitch. And the Dane Dunning, the Dane Dunning, the Dane Dunning choice, thing, that, that did it. That Dunning, was it for me. Dane Dunning is one of my favorite pitchers in baseball right now. Not fair to him. I'm saying the decision. Yeah. The decision, I'm just, correct. Yeah. And he was at a point, though, that I think that you just you should have just re, re, like wrote him out because I think the offense was so good that Dane could have just figured it out. A moment of panic. Okay, and that's where I think he got fired. And I think that that's going to be true when people are looking at matchups. You can't go into the playoffs and say, oh, well, we're going to pitch Cease and whoever, like, you can't get scared. You got to throw the guy who's ready to throw. And then that's the Houston series of why they picked Lynn to start that series. Okay. Hazi Guillen, since I was a little kid, and this is nothing against Blackjack, best pitcher on their team, said, you know, Ozzie always believed and other teams on the player that Jack, the Jack's boogeyman was the Toronto Blue Jays. Okay. Mm-hmm. They destroyed him. They destroyed him in the regular season. They destroyed him, you know, after the playoffs. People say they had Jack's pitches. They felt comfortable. Against him. Mind you, he's the best pitcher in baseball. For some reason, a really bad matchup against the Blue Jays. They throw him game one. He gets lit. You know, he has to pitch twice in the series. Wilson, Jason do really good on the road. Alex, so had you matched up differently, okay, what's your chances? White Sox fans were really pissed at Ozzy, okay, in the front office when Ozzy did not make Mark Burley game one pitcher of the playoffs. Because White Sox fans have this, like, they want to have their favorite players out there and they want to be able to, and and when they named Jose Contreras, even Jose Contreras had a hard time with it. And Mark Burley told Jose Contreras, you are a number one. I don't care what fans think about me. I know my worth. You're the best pitcher right now. And had that best pitcher been Freddie Garcia or somebody else, he would have gotten that ball. Best matchup against the best matchup. If we go into the playoffs, okay, regardless of players' feelings, and even the second half, let's just put it the second half, regardless of players' feelings, regardless of how much money you're making, regardless of what anyone in the White Sox front office or the fan base thinks about you, they need to go every day in there as a team and say, what's the best case scenario for this team to win today? So if it's me playing a position that I might not be so comfortable playing, if it's me taking a day off, okay, if it's somebody else pitching in that spot, you have to be okay with doing that. That's what winning teams do. And the Sox have to put ego aside, okay, to make decisions like that so they, they can win baseball games. I think that's the biggest part. Well, and honestly, if the playoffs started today, we've seen what Kopech has done against one of the some of the better teams in the American League. I think he's in the top three right now. Correct. And, and, Correct. and I, you make a decision on Lynn and Giolito based on – whatever matchup, but it's, it's Cease and Kopech right now, uh, contracts, stature, you know, whatever, whatever else. It whatever, is. whatever somebody has to match up. I'll give you an example. No one talks about him because again, he's not marketable. He's pitching in a position where like nobody really cares about unless you're a diehard baseball fan, Ronaldo Lopez. Okay. Yes. Him and Johnny Cueto, Cueto again, at some point I'm like, this guy can't do it forever. I hope that he does, but it's just like, he was really good. But Ronaldo Lopez, when you look at when they've brought him, him and Graveman, Every single time that he comes in the game, he helps you so much in the game, but also saves your bullpen in a series. And he's done an amazing job. So let's say you're running into a situation where you have been successful with throwing Kopech four innings 
you whatever it is that you're doing in the run, that's what you got to do in the playoffs. You can't go in the playoffs and then decide. I don't know why every manager in the playoffs does goes and manages completely different than they do in the regular season. They're, they're got guys warming up in the first inning thinking that they're Tampa. I'm like, Tampa does that day in and day out. Okay. You can't compete for what somebody else is doing. If your team's not used to doing that. So the White Sox need to decide and say, are we going to win the White Sox way? Because if they try to imitate anybody else, they're going to fail. And that's what fancy to realize. This is our team. Okay. These are our lineups. We need to be able to win with this team. We can't be dreaming of we're going to trade for Soto. If Manny Machado had come here, if Bryce Harper had eaten a better pizza, it's you have to, if, if, <laughs> if somebody gets hurt, if somebody gets hurt, you got to be able to move on and say, do I wish that Frank Thomas would have been the 2005 DH and hit a home run in the world series? Absolutely. Do you think that you, the players sat around and said, Oh my God, Frank went down. We're going to lose now. No, you can't do that. You need to be able of like, who's the next guy to step up and be able to do that because especially with so many injuries, especially how the game of baseball is today, you don't know who's going to be the next guy down and you have to be able to come up and say, when's my opportunity. So God, we might be seeing one of the minor league kids playing, you know, so sorry, some of these guys. And again, there might be a move that you might get upset by. There might be a trade with a guy that you think that might have a huge upside, you know, who might be the Fernando Tatis of the future. Who cares? He's not going to help you today. Yeah. Okay. I completely, I completely agree with that, especially when you're trying to win, you know, this season and honestly in this Abreu window. That's what I, this Abreu window is so important to me, and I think now is the time to really kind of capitalize on that. And yeah, Ronaldo Lopez is this year's Cliff Polite, right? Uh, no oh, one remembers him. No one remembers him, but like he no was. Oh, trust me, Ozzy Guillen remembers him. Ozzy Guillen. Whenever you go to the pen, whenever you go to the pen, you have to. The only way that you succeed is if your pitchers make you look good. Then you look like a genius. Yeah. You mess up a pinch hit, people are, don't expect the guy to get a hit. Guy gets a hit, you're like, oh my God, this guy's a genius. But if when you call to the bullpen, if a guy fails, people think that you're an idiot. Okay? Yeah. Even though Neil, Neil Kotz versus Travis Hafner might have been something that he, he was like, you know, I want to maybe avoid that in the yeah. playoffs. <laughs> These guys made Ozzy look really, really good. They had the yeah. routine. He, they made him look like a genius. Why? Because he trusted in them. He prepared them, okay, the whole season. It wasn't like Ozzy woke up in the first round of the playoffs and said, oh, let me go give Cliff. No. Cliff knew that that was his role. The whole, everyone in the clubhouse knew this is your role, Cliff. This is your role, Neil. Regardless of what your past is or what your stats are, that's what your role is. And everybody knew that once Herman said these guys got hurt, Ozzy didn't move Cliff to closer, and they could have. Those guys were all throwing good enough. They were like, we got a kid, and this is going to be his job. If somebody goes down, okay, who's going to be the next closer? They already have to have that in mind. If your closer is ready, I know that, like today, I know that that uh, that the closer is going to come in with two outs, okay? Because that's what he's been doing all year. And if he fails, it doesn't matter. That's what he was been building to do: pitch in the eighth with one with two outs, close it out, come in the ninth. Again, those routines is what I am looking for in consistency. That's what's going to make him a better team in the run. And then once again, to a playoffs, will have a better chance of winning it. Because if you go out in there and just try to wing it and try to be like, oh, you know, analytics tell me this or the numbers can go either way. You just have to do what you're doing. If the Sox came out tomorrow and then Ronaldo Lopez was starting, I'd be like, what are you guys doing? Oh, Ronaldo Lopez pitched really good in the first half, so we're going to decide him to start him in the game. Why? He hasn't started all year. Why would you do that now? Like, let, let players be players and fit into the group. That's why I would love them to go get a pitcher to help Kopech out and not move Ronaldo out of the bullpen. Okay, just let the guys succeed at where they're at and move it from there. Yeah, just try and cover the next six or seven weeks so that you can get Kopech up to 100% and then ride them all the way through the postseason. And if I can throw a compliment uh, towards your father and your family, I think the big reason why White Sox fans still – I think the rumor is still out there, right, that what if Ozzy managed the team? What if Ozzy managed the team? And I always kind of view it as it's not just because of the World Series banner that's hanging up there, while uh, um, unbelievable and important. It's because of what we're talking about right now, Ozzy, is that your father had the balls, honestly – to look at this, and we have this philosophical argument of you have to earn it in the major leagues, but earning it with results and roles and moments to win a baseball game and earning it through stature and contract, 
those lines can be blurred a lot, I feel like, in Major League Baseball. But your dad was one of the people that said, you know what, we can go from Shingo Takatsu to Dustin Hermanson to Bobby Jenks in the same season. You know, we can trust a guy like A.J. Pruszynski. We can trade a guy like Carlos Lee for a dude like Scott Pesenik. We can allow Carl Everett to just be Carl Everett and drive in 90 runs. You know, it's stuff like that. And then eventually moving J.D. up to that third, that third spot in the lineup, you know, and eventually he becomes the World Series MVP. I think a lot of those things go overlooked because he's doing what he needs to be done, and I think that's kind of what we're talking about with this White Sox roster in the second half. When you talk about lineup, when you talk about what we're going to do with rotation, how we add to our team, I think that's like a big part of it right now, and I think that's why your dad's legacy in Chicago continues to endure today. Well, thank you, and I think that's also when people talk about clubhouses and and the 2005 team, guys that were in 04 to 05, and pretty much 95% of that team that was around Ozzy. Ozzy always did a good job of like, this is my team, if you like it or not. Maybe three, four players really hated Ozzy. Again, that's not a lot compared to the guys that loved Ozzy. But those guys, Ozzy was okay at any given moment saying, JD, you're third, and know that PK was not going to get his feelings hurt because they had bought into his philosophy of, I am going to win as many games as possible and at the same time going to make you as rich as possible. Ask Aaron Rowan. Philadelphia, not so happy. The Giants, Aaron's very happy. But that was the philosophy. If we win, we are going to make money. And he did it as a player. He would tell those guys as a captain. He always says, I made a lot of guys money. Frank, Robin, they all became great players because I kept them honest and their feet on the ground. When people talk about would Ozzy be a good fit on this team, it's a 50-50 situation. Here's why. Ozzy would come in and Ozzy has his ways. It's how are these guys adapt to Ozzy, okay? Yeah. A lot of sensitive guys on this team, okay? And that's when you have to look, even without Ozzy managing, when you look yourself in the mirror and say, who am I? And am I a winner, okay? That's the number one issue. That'll be one of my main concerns. Concerns now that the fan base, media, they really care about what a manager does or doesn't do, the way that he goes about it. Ozzy is a guy that he cares about one thing, winning, and that's it. So whoever he pisses off, which I think, got on the job and then eventually got him fired from the job was I'm going to do things my way. And whoever gets pissed off, I don't care. I'm here to win, which is one of the only reasons that I thought Tony La Russa was going to be a great manager. Why? When you're Tony's age, what do you have to lose? It's not like you're looking for your next job. A lot of managers have jobs that you, you might do things a certain way, play a certain guy, because again, let's be honest, you're getting paid millions of dollars. Tell me, I'll go manage Oakland. I'll, I'll put, I'll play every single player that you want. Why? Because I want the contract. There's a really hard situation where you have the money to say in acting, I'm not doing that shitty movie. Well, guess what? If you're a beginning actor, you're going to do that shitty movie. Why? It's going to pay the bills. And then you just deal with it. You're not at the point when you're saying, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. Ozzy got to the point that he was always able to do that. Why? Former player, financially stable, was like, I, I am in a situation where I'm going to manage the way I want. Tony LaRusso's in that way. So when you get guys like that, Tony right now, okay, the players need to sit in because they had a chance to fire Tony, okay? Players could have gone and did a boycott and said, we don't want to play for Tony. They didn't. They need to say, we need to die with Tony for good or for bad or for worse or anything. Tony is our guy. And whatever Tony decides to do, we're going to back him up and we're going to play for him. And this is, it's us with Tony until it no longer is. So they need to have that mesh and that glue and, and not worry about what anybody else says and, and build and say, you know, build from the good parts. And even if Tony plays you, doesn't play you, is die with Tony because you cannot have this doubt, okay, going into the second half of is he our guy, is he not our guy? He is our guy for right now. What happens after October if Tony comes back, if Tony decides to become commissioner of baseball, if Tony be decides to become Southpaw? I don't care. They shouldn't care either. Yeah, okay, it's, it's a little bit of a who gives a shit, who right? Like, shit. it's if time Abreu, to. If you comes, he should say, you know what, guys, if I'm back here, if I'm not back here, it's not for me to say or decide now. Right now, it's winning today. It's taking each at bat. It's taking yeah. each. Hit. It is literally what is happening today. Not worry about, you know, uh, off the field rumors and who did what and what. Just focus for today. And again, you might create a, a world where fans feel uncomfortable okay but you need to make this second half about winning and block everything out okay winning 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 and 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 go from there and, and they're lucky man tony's a guy that he doesn't really call guys out you know he's not really going out there and saying controversial stuff if i was Tony the russo if my dad was Tony the russo i probably would have said kiss my ring you know kiss my hall of fame this is my decision what the hell do you guys know about baseball just because he can't people might get mad but 
when people were like, oh, this Tony move, I say, you know what? This might sound really stupid, but had he gotten it right, he'd be a genius. And he's at the point of his career where you can try to do just dumb shit like that, basically. Like if somebody else says, I'm going to hit the bat, the pitcher eighth, everyone in baseball would be like, you're an idiot. But Tony has the benefit of the power. But he did it. But that's what I'm saying, though. So like when people do, there's moves. And, and when you're watching the game, okay, and you're on this side, there's moves that certain guys make that you're like, you know what? He must have had a feeling. I got to ride with it. Who am I to second guess him? If, if somebody else makes that move, you're like, this guy's an idiot. Why? Well, you shouldn't be making that move because you need to protect your job. So when it comes to things of that matter is write it out. And for the White Sox front office is I do not want this. We're going to go for it next year. In 2023, when, you know, the sun and the moon and you got to go for it now. There's a move on the table that benefits and helps your team. And you have to give up one of your prospects. Okay. You cannot, the White Sox fans in, in front office think that they're going to be the only team in major leagues with a 55-man roster. They, every day they talk about a prospect. Oh, we can't move this guy. Why? Oh, because he's going to be good in, in 2030. I'm like, who cares about 2030? We're not going to even be here in 2030 if we don't get our, we don't get our stuff together. Neither will that prospect. Make the moves for the guys that you think are going to help your team. Okay, and that's how you win. When they compare to Atlanta, I'm like, you guys know that Atlanta traded like seven players and gave up half of their farm system while doing it? They got a race. Yeah. You know, well, the Cubs. And that's the other thing, too, is that, you know, first of all, I've rarely met a White Sox fan that's comfortable, so it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, they might as well just do what you got to do. And the second part is, and this is, I think, a very criticism of the White Sox, and they have an opportunity in the next month or so, of we are past the point of no return in terms of their payroll right now. You know, the money is the money that you spent, so you might as well spend a little bit more or do whatever it takes to do this prospect, that prospect, or whatever, because this isn't a halfway in, it's a full way in now at this point, so you might as well just go for it and just... You, you know, go for it. So this is this is where they got to get a, a piece of paper from. Uh, and going for it is not Juan Soto, in my opinion. Just to be very no, clear. No, 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 no. But I'm talking. No, but I'm talking about when you make a move. I'll give you an example. So the Marlins. Everyone's like, how did the Marlins pull it off? Okay, signing all those guys and doing all that, and they got to sell the teams in millions. You can make moves for guys and then unload them later. Okay, oh, yeah. you can make moves for guys and trade for them or trade them later or eat some money. So if you take money up front for a run you can always restructure rechange and make something happen again the reason that it's not that i don't like juan soto's money it's not a money situation with him i'm like i don't think i want anybody for 15 years okay that's my that's my if you want to you want to come like carlos correa correa tells the white sox next year hey i want to come here and give me 60 million dollars i'm like okay cool give it to him you're here for two years you have a buy option after this year makes him the second baseman because i'm not locked in so those types of situations, I don't care. But when you're locking yourself in, that's when I get scared. But if you're going to make a move, you're making a move for, for a right fielder. You're making a move for somebody that you really need that help. That's why last year I don't critique the Kimbrel move, okay? I might critique how they use them, knowing that he might have not wanted to be a setup guy. But you needed help in the bullpen. You needed help in the bullpen. White Sox fans hate the fact that he played on the Cubs, so he was already coming with a negative. He pitched basically just two bad games, and the rest of the time he was pretty okay. But they gave up Nick Madrigal. Well, I'm going to be honest with you guys. If you don't think that you can replace a Nick Madrigal in your draft, okay, you have bigger concerns. You're telling me you're moving, you know, you're moving a guy like an elite guy, like you're going to say, well, potentially what Andrew Vaughn is looking to be. 30 home runs, 100 RBIs. Those are the guys you have to say, hmm, these only come so often in, 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 in a franchise you fl- flip the story it's when you do a cease for an alloy for a quintana that's when that's when you're really kind of thinking about what you're what you're doing when you're going for it and correct and, correct and, and you know what the- and to be very fair that worked out for the cubs for the first for that one season that definitely worked out for well, the because, cubs. i think quintana people, struck out like 12 guys in his first start but, but this like, is the thing though they thought that they had the window and none of those guys would help them and th- yeah. remember they had guys in those positions that those guys would not be a part of you know Eloy did not have a spot in that roster so that's when you can see guys like people are like, oh, Gavin Sheets. I'm like, I'm sure Gavin Sheets has a lot of value on a team. Uh, we don't like Moncada. I'm sure there's other teams that like Moncada. It's just how you present it. And you have to be okay with the decision that you made. You cannot trade a guy like that or a player, okay, and then come back and say, well, I don't like the other guy's defense. I want the other guy back. You can't do that. Okay, when they traded for Carlos Lee and Patsenic, you knew you were giving up 35 home runs. So the next season, you weren't every time Scotty, you know, did not hit a home run with three runners on scoring position. You didn't say, oh, my God, I wish we had Carlos back. No, you ride Scotty out and you learn how to play around his abilities. That's what they need to do. We need to stop thinking about 
again, if your team changes and you're, you have to start winning games with less home runs, I hate when fans say, oh, we need to hit more home runs. You need to adapt and find a way to win a baseball game. And that's what I like when I see the last couple of days and you're seeing guys out of their comfort realm and then they start winning games. And I'm like, okay, they're really meshy. Because the moments when they do find themselves and they're just 100%, they're going to be very scared. Ozzie Guillen Jr. here on Bet on Chicago, man. Thank you so much for coming on the pod, dude. I, dude, I could do this with you forever, man. I, I, I wanted to be respectful of your time. We went way over, but man, I had such a great conversation with you. Here's the deal, my audience, right now. You know, we've got about a couple months left. We're heading towards a stretch run of baseball. Guillen Baseball on YouTube.com is going to be a prime place where you're going to need to go for all of your content and a White Sox breakdown that was so in depth and so intelligent as we will, conversation we just had now. So, Ozzie, man, thank you so much for coming on the pod, man. Throw out your socials. Tell people, you know, the best way to check out Game Baseball on YouTube.com. And, and, man, thank you so much again for coming on, man. Well, hopefully we can do it again soon before uh, oh, the playoffs start. Anytime you want to have me on, I'll jointly thank you for having us. For the audience, Gian Baseball, again, on YouTube, on Twitter, Gian Baseball. Um, we, we're all on that handle. We'll talk baseball. I always tell people this. It's always uh, baseball. It's never personal. And when you come on the show, if you do have sensitive feelings, bring a pet, a doll, hold it onto it. We're going to give it to you. 100 percent we're not gonna hold back we're not gonna baby you we're going to give you what you need we don't say fire tony this guy sucks we're gonna tell you the truth this is what's going on we're not just gonna say it's very easy saying someone sucks and oh great how do you fix it that's that's where you have to do the solutions okay that's what we gotta ask for how do you win with what you have that's where success lies not saying oh my god I wish I had Bryce Harper. It's like being broke and then saying, I wish I had Elon Musk money. Wow, that's a great solution. <laughs> Bring your emotional support, Jim Tomey, bobblehead dolls, and, yeah. uh, and get, get some great White Sox content. Today's episode of Bet on Chicago with Joey Christopoulos presented by, of course, betonline.ag. 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use Believe. B-L-E-A-V is your promo code. I'm also partnering with Baseball Lifestyle 101 all season long bl101.com if you go to their website 10 percent off all their summer apparel when you use promo code joey sports guy thank you so much for checking out this pod we'll be back with some more of the rest of the week until then be well be safe please be good to each other and remember when in doubt always bet on chicago thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.